Insight, innovation, transformation. Welcome to the Change Healthcare Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Change Healthcare Podcast. I'm Chris Joshi, EVP and President of Network Solutions at Change Healthcare. Today, we are talking about vaccination records with Ramesh Raskar from MIT. Ramesh, before we get started, can you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe touch on your career journey that brought you here and uh, what you're doing these days? Thank you, Chris. Uh, Great to be here. Uh, Yes, uh, this is uh, Ramesh Raskar, professor at MIT, also founder of the PathCheck Foundation. Uh, And we have been working in the space of pandemic response uh, pretty much since the beginning. You know, we launched the very first contact tracing app even before people were, we had significant cases in the US. Uh, and since then, through our nonprofit PathCheck, uh, we are live in five US states and territories. Uh, and through our thought leadership, you know, we have published over 30 papers, um, working in many spaces like vaccination, testing, uh, contact tracing. And our focus is really on kind of a software-driven, a data-driven impact, uh, including the unfortunate crisis right now in India. Well, your background is, is phenomenal, and I'm a big fan of the work you're doing at uh, PathSec Foundation, Ramesh. So with that, um, let's dive, dive right in. So maybe we'll start with where we are today as a country with our vaccination effort. With almost half the country now vaccinated, we will soon have more vaccine supplies than demand in some regions. What are some of the things we can do to address hesitancy in the remaining population based on all the work that you've been doing with PathCheck? I think it's a, it's a big challenge for us, Chris. And you know, when we think about hesitancy, there are two aspects to it. There's the vaccine hesitancy, but even before that, there's a digital hesitancy, which is, are we making it too difficult for people to get vaccinated by creating artificial barriers that require them to interface with digital systems? Um, and some of us who are just lazy and just laggards, uh, any one of these two, you know, hesitancy because of the digital interface or hesitancy because of values or, or, or side, side effects uh, because of vaccines could come in a way. So at least to solve the digital hesitancy part of, part of the problem, it's very critical for us to create a very consumer-centric solution, you know, something incentivizes people to be on the system. In many cases, it should be as simple as you know going to a daily and buying a sandwich, as opposed to having to register online and proving who you who you are, uh, and and so on. And we have examples of some of our partners uh, in a southern state where even if they send national guard to vaccinate the people uh, in rural areas, they have to spend several hours up front after reaching the rural areas to ask them to people go online and register in their state registry system before they can give them jabs. So these are just lost opportunities and you know, we, sh- we should care about every person, whether they have digital literacy or not, uh, to get vaccinated. And I think if you can solve those problems, some of the sluggards will, will uh, you know, we, can, we, can, we can overcome that. And the second challenge with hesitancy is about uh, misinformation or disinformation uh, and, and so on. And it's very critical for us to be on the right platforms um, and stem the spread of misinformation at the same time, create platforms that are extremely transparent. Uh, even today in many US states, uh, we do not release the progress of vaccination per zip code. And the states have ma- made that decision because my guess is that they are worried that if they release that data, uh, it will show that you know either hesitancy is 
uh, is more prominent in certain zip codes or you know certain uh, low income uh, zip codes are not being served so so holding back that information actually is not great either because with some transparency with some sunlight uh, on this data we might have solutions to overcome the hesitant, vaccine hesitancy as well so digital hesitancy let's solve that first and soon after that for vaccine hesitancy and this is such a global problem ramesh that um... The United States, of course, has been one of the leaders in the development of the vaccine. And now with our vaccine rollout, do you see hesitancy being a, a, a different challenge or a similar challenge in, in other countries around the world? I think the, the challenge is going to come, you know, because of many reasons. And uh, I think it's easy for us to kind of just uh, start attaching labels to particular uh, demographic groups uh, and assume that that's why they have hesitancy. Uh, in reality, hesitancy is uh, in a combination of many factors. Um, in the U.S., because we believe in personal freedom, uh, but personal freedom also means just being lazy about using digital platforms. And in other countries, it could be because of you know just misinformation campaigns, missteps, um, uh, you know, uh, from from previous campaigns, uh, and so on. Um, so I think it has to be. I think removing friction and adding transparency will go a long way that's not that doesn't mean we're going to solve it all together but you know pandemics are about statistics it's all about getting 70 80 percent of the way there it's not about making sure you know we're trying to overcome the hesitancy for every last individual makes a makes a ton of sense and as you pointed out many times the experience of getting a vaccine if that experience is convenient comfortable and um, an easy experience, then people are more likely to go and get vaccinated and it might address at least a portion of hesitancy that's associated with the digital experience as you described it. So let's dive into that a little bit. You've done a lot of creative work around approaches being tried uh, to help people manage their vaccination records. And you've also talked about the distinction between credentials versus policies used by venues. So talk to us a little bit about that. How do you think about it? Uh, Chris, I think it's very important to realize, um, and I know the topic of so-called vaccine passports is highly politicized, but I think it's very, very important to make a distinction between issuance of credentials versus how they're used. And I think nobody will argue that each of us, you know, deserves to have a record of our credentials, you know, and right now when you go get vaccinated, you know, we get this very nice uh, CDC card, <clears throat> which you know, is, is a great closure. I mean, when I went to get my shot, you know, I saw people with tears, you know, I saw people cheering, uh, I saw people taking selfies uh, and that vaccination card, as simple as it is, you know, gives folks that closure. If they just took a jab and walked away, you know, they may or may not get that, get that closure uh, in, you know, this very extreme and challenging year. Um, so it's very important for them to get something physical, something paper, ideally, that you know is tangible and so on uh, and then it's up to geeks like us to figure out how do you make that experience you know more and more compatible with what's downstream right so i think if you separate the notion of giving people credentials which we're already doing but maybe not in the best way versus how they're used uh, i think there's a big gap between the two and i know your team has also been focused on just issuing the credentials uh, which could be again paper cards could be you know nice fold outs uh, it could be laminated card, or it could be something that's sent in a digital form through email or you know a PDF uh, that you can uh, print out on a website 
or it appears magically on your smartphone and so on. So as long as we get the credentials issuance right, I think we'll enable you know, a whole bunch of use cases. And they could vary from you know, really casual uh, interactions, like, hey, I have, a, I have, a, you know, I have a, you know, a birthday for my kids, and can you please make sure you're vaccinated when you walk in uh, to something where you're to host a wedding and you're going to inform your, your, your guest to something really more formal, like getting to school, getting back to work, or maybe the most complicated, which is you know, crossing the boundaries and making sure the policies from one country are compatible with policy in other countries. All those issues we should keep on the verification side. Uh, and I can imagine there are lots of uh, you know, legal, political, and cultural issues on that side. But as far as the issuance is concerned, you know, I, I can't imagine that being too controversial because all of us are getting a record anyway. If you can get that in a way that's you know, more secure, you know, is, is cryptographically uh, signed, so it cannot be spoofed, it cannot just be exchanged. If you lose it, you know, you can still go recover it from either your healthcare provider or from your state. So let's solve the issues on the issuance uh, and then let, you know, a cottage industry appear on how to use that and let there be very strong legal and ethical guidelines on what happens on the verification of those vaccination records. Oh, very eloquently stated, Ramesh. Uh, in other words, don't don't confuse the policies of the venues asking for proof of vaccination and all the political considerations associated with that against the simple act of empowering a consumer to keep their records and not have to um, fumble around to find them when they when they actually need them. Now, well well said, and and I can imagine that this problem or this challenge becomes even more um, uh, complicated once multiple vaccines are out there and people start looking for booster shots and some countries uh, are only rolling out one shot to the entire population initially and not even worrying about the second shot. I believe that's the case uh, across the border in Canada so far. So even even what it means to be fully vaccinated uh, today depends on where you are, doesn't it? Yeah. So definitely there's a third dimension, Chris, that you, you're bringing up, which is what does it even mean to have that credential? Um, you know, the durability of it, uh, the efficacy of it, and so on. And those are very important issues. Uh, but again, I think for, you know, I live in the state of Massachusetts, and I think there's no reason why the state can just issue this credential saying, hey, on March 1st, you got Pfizer dose one, and April 1st, you got Pfizer dose two, and this is the credential for that. And then, you know, again, the verification apps can have a very complex logic that says, hey, Pfizer has a durability of only nine months and we expect you to get a second, uh, you know, a third booster shot uh, or that, you know, Pfizer is only great for, you know, people over this age, uh, but for children, you know, and all that complex logic can appear downstream, uh, you know, with its own uh, kind of expertise, you know, its own kind of enterprise grade support, uh, and also, as I said before, the ethical and, and cultural issues. Makes, makes perfect sense. Again, maybe if you could take a global view, Ramesh, um, given that you speak with the World Health Organization and many international bodies that are focused on solving this at a, at a global level, what do you see emerging? Are there standards coming up uh, that other countries are working towards? And, and to be very practical, if you are an American, looking to travel overseas this summer, maybe, you know, take that long awaited trip to Europe. 
Um, what, what do you see emerging as the experience for people traveling and going across borders? I, I think the good news here really is that, you know, many great organizations have stepped forward and says, let's solve the problem of, of credential issuance. Uh, you know, uh, in a way that's compatible, you know, so at PathCheck Foundation, uh, you know, we have taken a view that uh, I, although in the long run, we need interoperability and standards, uh, in the short run, actually non-standard solutions are perfectly fine. So, and, and WHO seems to be going in a somewhat similar direction as opposed to EU and some large consortiums. Um, so I would, I would kind of, um, bucket the solutions into three large areas. One group of solutions um, is, uh, is based on the notion that this is a great opportunity to promote electronic health records in people's lives. Um, and so, you know, can we make it compatible with EHRs and HL7s? Uh, and and you know, Microsoft is doing a fantastic work in this space. And that's kind of one group of people who says, hey, this is actually a great ramp you know, on ramp for creating solutions for, you know, EHR based solutions. There's another group that thinks, hey, the pandemic is a fantastic opportunity to promote kind of blockchain based solutions that have, you know, immutable records um, and ability to deal with untrusted entities uh, and so on. Uh, and IBM is kind of, kind of taking this uh, uh, kind of a thought process of a more blockchain based solution. Uh, and then there's a third group of people, and I would consider WHO is one of them, which is saying, no, no, let's just create a, a very lightweight kind of public key, private key uh, infrastructure. And so PathChecks believes in that simplicity as well, which is there'll be a collection of, of uh, states and nations who can issue these credentials and anybody else can validate them as well. So it's a much more lightweight way uh, of doing that. So at PathCheck Foundation, we think all three have a great potential. Um, uh, and maybe the simplest one, I like to use the analogy of uh, cash versus a credit card. Um, in the simplest version, we should, the credentials should look more like cash. You know, I can take my $10 bill and go buy a sandwich. And when I go to the shop, I don't have to prove who I am. You know, the, the shopkeeper doesn't have to tell anybody else they just got $10 from me. Uh, the shopkeeper doesn't have to call up you know, some bank to see whether Ramesh really has $10 in his, in his account or not. So cash is really great that way. If I use the credit card, I can do the same exact thing, but then every second the shopkeeper has to check whether Ramesh really has $10 uh, in his bank account. So the shopkeeper has to make a real-time call to some cloud-based service and talk to several entities, the banks, the credit rating and so on, and has to talk to a whole ecosystem to figure out whether it's okay to sell Ramesh a $10 sandwich. And even after the transaction is done, I, as Ramesh, get a benefit of knowing all the places I went to, whether the, my money was used, and the shopkeeper can keep track of you know, how the money was used. But there's also a huge financial ecosystem that can look at this digital exhaust of the $10 that Ramesh spent. And so just to kind of give you a flavor, just to give you the taste of that, just the fact that I bought a sandwich ended up creating this massive digital exhaust, which everybody would argue has been kind of a backbone of our financial system. So as opposed to a cash-based society, we know a credit card-based society, you know, can have a much richer, you know, contribution to GDP. When it comes to pandemic, you can also take these two views. You can say either I can create credentials that look more like cash 
authentic credentials that look more like a credit card and our philosophy at pathcheck right now is at least in the beginning we should make it like cash you know the state issues you a credential uh, on a piece of paper and then you can go and use it anywhere you want uh, and the verifiers the venues the hospitals you know your your bride and groom at the wedding you know can run a very simple system to see whether your 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 paper based paper based you know vaccine credential uh, is good enough but over time or 6 months or a year we should definitely graduate towards something that looks more like a credit card but then also it has implications in terms of privacy and security and fraud and centralization of data uh, and all those things so i think we have this really interesting philosophical debate going on between a cash like credential versus a credit card like credential and both are great but i just feel like in the short run a cash like solution might work so to answer your question i think most of the countries in the world are moving towards a cash like solution uh, for credentials which is we issue you a piece of paper and then you can use it you know uh, you know with with some verifying apps and it's still cryptographically secure and so on some other players as i said are using this pandemic as an opportunity to see if it can be on ramp to ehr based or blockchain based solutions i think i think we have a, a fantastic mix here i just hope you know we don't kind of we don't kind of make we don't make the mistake of focusing on the long term and delivering a poor solution in the short term you're listening to the change healthcare podcast we're enabling a better more efficient healthcare system whether you need to improve operational efficiency optimize financial performance or enhance the consumer experience we offer the industry insight and innovative technology to help you meet your objectives learn more at changehealthcare.com that was a very very thoughtful uh, answer to the question ramesh thank you you know as we look ahead um everybody likes to think that the summer will will uh, bring a little bit more of a normal um um uh, feeling to it this year but uh, that is sitting here in the united states you know much of the rest of the world um is still not out of the woods and doesn't even necessarily see the light at the end of the tunnel sadly sadly enough you know i'd like to for a moment bring up the possibility that some of these variants that are going around around the world and some of the uh, problematic developments we are seeing might result you know as much as anyone uh, everyone would not want this to be the case might result in yet another wave in the west where you might find that the disease begins to spread and uh in the fall if we find that uh, we need to now further protect the population let's say with another booster shot or a slightly modified vaccine do you think that this time around the next time around we will be better prepared with uh, everything from registration scheduling and credential issuing infrastructure I think that's a great question Chris I mean I'm not an epidemiologist but you know the the current statistics we are seeing uh, even in the US is we we you know the expectations of will plateau at about 70 maybe 75% of adoption which is about 25% of the population plus kids you know so there will be always this bushfires kind of local hotspots that will continue to emerge unfortunately with outbreaks um and it could take us 4 5 years before eventually you know everything is under control so one way or the other unfortunately this this virus is with us for the next several years um and if you have to consider the problem with variants uh then this gets even more complex so i think we we have also 
kind of gone back and forth. Uh, if you see in the US and, and at federally and also at the state level, whether it's better to do this uh, in a kind of a mass vaccination site or something that's outside the traditional health system, or should we just let hospitals and, and big pharmacists deal with it? So I think that debate has kind of you know, gone back and forth uh, and has its pluses and minuses uh, of how we would do it. Uh, but clearly I think it's gonna be difficult to run mass vaccination sites. So we will have to rely on existing health infrastructure for booster shots and as, as time goes on, uh, it'll be difficult to kind of justify spending hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars to run this uh, mass vaccination site outside the traditional health system. So given that, you know, given that assumption that we will be dependent on our existing health and public health infrastructure, the question is how do we make it, you know, highly interoperable, highly consumer centric, uh, and also reduce the cost? Because just, if, just to get booster shots, you know, we have the cost similar to today's uh, flu shots, which as you know, is a very inefficient mechanism. You know, well under 50% people get, uh, get uh, flu shots. Um, so, you know, hopefully we won't use the same kind of a mental model uh, as flu shots, which has very high friction. We're talking about hesitancy. I mean, getting a flu shot is a, you know, high friction experience uh, for most people. Uh, they have to figure out, do they have the insurance for it? You know, do they have to pay out of their pocket? Uh, you know, they, they get reminders here and there, but it's not part of the culture to just go and get, you know, a flu shot in a frictionless way. Uh, unfortunately for COVID, we will have to do that, you know, given the severity of the, you know, uh, the disease uh, after the virus. Um, so again, I think there are many moving pieces to this. Um, the two things that we should continue to focus on, make it consumer-centric and frictionless, and make it highly transparent and interoperable. It's uh, somewhat sobering to think that uh, we're, we are nowhere close to being able to let our guard down. And if, if we are going to get ready for, uh, for another wave or potentially more trouble down the road, then we have to make sure these debates that you pointed out that are still playing out are resolved, uh, hopefully over the next several months. Hope so, hope so. I, I want to inject uh, one recent uh, research from Patrick Foundation um, um, so we did a, we, uh, you know, our Institute for Technology and Global Health, which is under PathCheck Foundation, uh, did a very large survey uh, for vaccine hesitancy and vaccine credentials and so-called vaccine passports. Uh, and surprisingly, the results look very promising. You know, about 68% of the U.S. population thinks they would like to have something like a vaccine credential. Uh, sorry, 16% of the population say that they would like to have a system which encourages people to show their vaccine credential. And I know many states have been uh, rightfully very concerned about businesses demanding uh, vaccine credentials. Uh, but at least in the US, about 60% of the population thinks uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a reasonable approach to, um, it's a reasonable demand to ask for vaccine credential. And that in turn, as you can imagine, is a bit of a carrot and a stick. The vaccine credential, unfortunately, sounds like a stick. Uh, to get more people vaccinated. Uh, and, and, you know, if you kind of do this in an ethical and privacy-preserving way over time and has some, you know, standard laws and regulations of how exactly those traditions can be used, I can imagine, a, you know, a flywheel, you know, that picks up and you have enough carrots and sticks in the system to make sure people are very careful about not just the vaccinations right now, but also the booster shots every year. Well, those results on the survey are very encouraging indeed. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for sharing. So given how quickly uh, the world has had to react 
to all of this, and particularly in the United States, the speed with which the vaccines were developed and all this infrastructure for delivery of the vaccines was set up. And uh, we are, you know, I would think maybe halfway down the path of, of completing a first round of vaccinations. What are the big learnings, Ramesh, that you would take away from this? This has been such a transformative moment for the U.S. and for the world. What, what would you take away for the, for the future? I think, Chris, you know, just like you and me, many of us kind of took a detour from what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, whether they're, you know, geeks like me, people like you who are working in health already, uh, you know, all walks of life have taken a detour. So let's do something in this space. And I think again and again, we see one main problem, which is lack of data. The lack of visibility cripples pandemic response. If you think about some of the Asian countries, they were able to squash the pandemic in about three months by using two things. They were very careful, very smart about uh, capturing a lot of data. Um, so they used you know, credit card records, travel records, you know, extremely invasive and kind of you know, um, solutions to, to gather that data and act on it. Um, and second is they were very strong, they were very particular about enforcing individual behavior, right? So, and they did manage to bring the pandemic under control within three or four months. And there have been very few deaths and very few cases in some of these Asian countries. The challenge of course, is that the way the data was captured was very invasive and the way the enforcement was done was also very coercive. So I think in the US and many countries, I think the lesson for us is how do we achieve those two goals without being invasive or coercive? And to me, you know, as a, as a data geek, <clears throat> it feels that the number one problem we have to solve is the gap in the knowledge of our public health systems uh, and when they are flying blind, how can either crowdsourced or consumer information or information coming from you know, companies like Change Healthcare or others, how can they fill in those gaps so that the cycle of knowledge and, and policies is, is consistent? So right now, when it comes to public health, you know, we have this really well-intentioned efforts around testing, tracing, vaccination, and so on. Then you have this disconnected effort on predicting what could happen next. And then you have another disconnected effort on how to alert and change policies and you know, uh, inform the citizens. So you have these three seemingly connected, nevertheless, efforts with massive data gaps, massive knowledge gaps. So if we bring in a crowdsourced solution or solution where data is being contributed by you know, non-standard entities, um, then we can understand you know, individual behavior. Uh, we can understand how to analyze that data from it. Uh, and then we can also think about, you know, how do you create a very engaging experience? Uh, I like to use the analogy of Waze or Google Maps. You know, we, it's very easy for us to realize that despite the best roads and best traffic systems, which are kind of these top-down systems from the Department of Transportation, we still need something like Waze to crowdsource information. And so when I'm traveling in Boston, I open my maps app and very quickly understand where the traffics are. I may not know, I'm, you know, I don't have to rely on, you know, living in a city that has good roads or good traffic lights or fancy IOT on the streets, but you know, collection of that and the collection of crowdsource data allows me to close the loop to see 
might have to go from point A to point B, which is the best route or is it a good time to leave right now? And when you think about the pandemic journey of an individual, you also need to see the pandemic traffic to kind of navigate around that. So I think the main learning for us in this pandemic is the fact that these gaps exist. Um, and despite those gaps, I think most government and public health entities treat as if they know what's going on. They treat as if this is all the information they can have and they treat a pandemic just like they would handle you know, a hurricane where you can just set up a command and control situation and tell people in Southern Florida to just move up the coast and just set up these you know, um, shelters and do you know, broadcast announcements and kind of one solution fits all uh, type of an approach. And handling a, a tackling a hurricane is very different than tackling an epidemic or a pandemic because pandemics are really about engaging individuals and understanding how you know, innocent people are infecting other innocent people and how treatments for one is not going to work for the treatment for others. Uh, and so on. So I think just the main learning for me uh, is really that these knowledge gaps can be filled in uh, with all these other sources. And if you do that, then we can potentially achieve the success of some of these Asian countries without uh, invasive data gathering or coercive monitoring. Uh, those are those are some really great thoughts, uh, Ramesh. Thank you for sharing. Uh, we at Change Healthcare always like to say that we are, we are here to reduce the fragmentation of uh, the healthcare system. And, you know, one of the things you mentioned are the gaps, the data gaps. And we know, I know how difficult it is to close those gaps, because even though we run some of the largest infrastructure in the country that connects hospitals and physicians' offices and pharmacies and labs, bringing all of that information together is, is difficult. And to your point, um, you want to do all of that without violating privacy, without violating patient consent and adhering to all those things that uh, in the West we take for granted and prize. So we have to be able to do um, all that fence mending and uh, connection work without uh, stepping outside of those rules we've set for ourselves. That's a tall order, but it's certainly something that we'll continue to work on. Uh, Ramesh, I know you and your team have done a tremendous amount of innovation and thinking and uh, provided a lot of thought leadership on the topic. And for that, I thank you tremendously. Um, also, thank you so much for joining uh, us today to share your thoughts on vaccination records. It's always a pleasure, always a pleasure to speak with you. I learned so much every time uh, I spend a few minutes with you. So please come back again. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping we can, uh, we can have a conversation on this topic, perhaps as things evolve through the summer and into the fall. And as you and your team are unearthing new insights from the work that you're continuing to do. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. And it's been a pleasure working with uh, Change Healthcare, especially on things like uh, vaccine credentials and the fact that you have you know, a, a very large user base that's already benefiting from your forward thinking. I still remember our conversations you know, around Thanksgiving time uh, when, when you're thinking about it very proactively going forward. Uh, and I think we need all the, all the smart minds um, to come together and work on this pandemic uh, preparedness. Well said. Thanks again. And for our listeners, don't forget to check out the show notes for the links uh, to resources and contact information related to today's show. So stay tuned uh, to the Change Healthcare podcast for more shows coming up covering the healthcare IT topics that you care about the most. For more information on vaccine records and other healthcare IT topics, please visit changehealthcare.com.
Thank you very much for joining. I'm Chris Churchy, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to the Change Healthcare Podcast. We're focused on accelerating the transformation of the healthcare system through the power of the Change Healthcare platform. We provide data and analytics-driven solutions to improve clinical, financial, administrative, and patient engagement outcomes in the U.S. healthcare system. Learn more at changehealthcare.com.